everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Now, today, the cool kids are talking about how shifting the L&D mindset from creating learning value to creating business value is our bedrock to success. Now, all of this comes from Laura Overton founder of Learning Changemakers and, along with myself and Michelle Ockers, the co-founder of the Emerging Stronger Initiative. Now, I've invited Laura to essentially hijack our conversation today, and I know you will find what she has to say immensely interesting. Today, our conversation is centered around Laura's learning value spectrum. Now, what is that, you may ask? Well, good question. It all starts with answering the question that Laura poses. When you talk about the value L&D is providing to your organization, what narrative of success do you use? In the show notes below, I link to Laura's learning value spectrum and also to her article from LinkedIn, which helps provide greater context to this discussion. When we think about the learning value spectrum, To the left is creating learning value, and to the right, it's creating business value. Therefore, let's answer the big question on the table. When you talk about the value L&D is providing to your organization, what narrative of success do you use? So without further ado, let's get to it. So welcome everyone to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. As we like to say, where all the cool kids hang out. That is us. We are all the cool kids. And today we have a very special guest. We have Laura Overton joining us. And I'm really have been trying to get Laura to join us for a while, but sometimes her schedule, she's just a busy, busy lady. And some of you may know that Laura and I, along with Michelle Ockers, we work together on a separate initiative called Emerging Stronger. And Laura has done some outstanding work when we think about L&D thinking habits, our values as L&D, learning value as opposed to business value. And she's just such a big thinker in this area. And I appreciate it. It's just one of those things, you know, when you, I'm sure you guys can relate when you've got that person in front of you who is talking, all you want to do is sit back and absorb it all, right? You want to be a sponge. And I find that even today, after all the years of knowing Laura, I still want to sit back and be a sponge and listen to everything that Laura has to say. I'm sure that you all will enjoy this conversation just as much as I will enjoy this. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this over to Laura so she can give herself a proper introduction rather than me gushing about her and uh, give us a little bit of a hint about her background and what she has done. And then we're going to get into what our big question is today. So, Laura. I don't think I can really add very much to that introduction that you've just given (laughs) to me. I can only tell you, I guess, what I'm passionate about. And I'm passionate about understanding or building our collective understanding together. I've done a lot of research in my time. And my research subject has been about learning innovation and business impact. That's the one thing that I've always been curious about is 
how can new ways of doing learning help us really add value back into our organizations? But what I love is learning from other people, whether it's asking questions through research, but then how do we look at the data together? How do we learn from each other? What each are each other's experiences? So I think that's one of the key things for me is that I don't want to give you too much of an introduction to what, what I've been doing. I led a longitudinal research project for 15 years. And after 15 years, I thought, you know what? That's quite a long time to dedicate to one study, despite it was bad. It was incredibly interesting. So since then, I've been kind of exploring and looking at how we as a body of professionals, of practitioners can really enhance each other's behavior? How can we learn from each other in order to deliver better value? But prior to that, I spent 15 years in ed tech, working with very large organizations. I'm not a technologist. I love to work with Shannon and Michelle because, and people like Andrew, because they are the hands-on people. But I am very into the change management aspects. How do we get people engaged and on board and shifting and changing with us? So for me, that kind of gives you a few of the things that I'm interested in and hopefully gives you a sense of the fact that I don't want to be talking and doing all the talking in this session, but I really want us to learn together and to ask each other questions and to explore how we can support each other, drive better business value in our organization. So I think, Shannon, that's the shortest (laughs) amount of time you've ever heard me talk, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but that's okay. I know we'll be hearing more from you as we move through our hour. Now, the email that I sent out to you had the learning value spectrum, the graphic there attached to it, as well as the article that Laura wrote in LinkedIn, which is what prompted my thought about having this conversation with everyone. Because it's not just about what Laura thinks in this particular area. I want to know what you all think. And how are you feeling when you have that inner narrative about how you think about providing learning value to your organization? What is that narrative like? You know, what are you saying to yourself? What are you saying to yourself about whether or not you're adding learning value or business value or something in between? So when you talk about the value L&D is providing to your organization, what narrative of success do you use? I've just put this into the chat. And so we're very curious about that. But what we're going to do first, do we want to show the slide? Yeah, it's just about when you describe your value to other people, like in the last project, how do you describe it? What makes you feel proudest? And I I think it's really good to kind of place ourselves on the spectrum about how proud we feel about our own value and how we recognize ourselves, what measures we use for ourselves to describe our value to other people. So I know that we've probably come back to this quite a few times, but it would be great to know which elements of this spectrum you naturally feel drawn to. If someone says, did you do a good job? If you're entering an award and they say, what are the kind of value that you actually delivered into through this project? How would you describe it? What are you most proud of? So it would be great to maybe use the stamping option to get your feedback on this, to say, you know, how do you currently feel about your learning value? How proud are you in that space? So yeah, if you want to use the stamp to say how you might normally talk about your value, the things that make you feel proud in these different areas, it would be great to see where as a group of people collate around in this space. It should start with business value, but I'm just wondering how we currently talk about our value back to the organization. 
And if it's all in business value, I'm just going to be so excited about that. And if it's all on efficiency, engagement, I'm going to be really excited about that. So I'm just really excited to find out where you are on the, where you see yourselves day to day on that spectrum. I do think that it's important to note that sometimes, Laura, would you agree that sometimes it's variable? Oh, yeah. That's why there's no good place or bad place to put your stamp on this spectrum right now because of the reasons and, you know, the context that we're actually in as an organization. So, Jen, I I want us to move into that, (laughs) how we currently define it, how others currently define our value versus where it could be where it should be. I'm glad you've raised that. I think we need to be talking about that today, about others' expectations on on our value there. But what's really interesting is to see this kind of broad brush, you know, reflection against this template. Elizabeth, I think all of them, I think is really interesting how your clients describe your value. So it would be interesting to know where you would stamp yourself if you were your client (laughs) about what they're looking for in this space as well. So I think that's really important. So I'd like to ask you, based on what you're seeing here, and we're seeing learning value. And so under learning value, we have learning activities, learning efficiencies, learning engagement, learning usefulness. And then it flips over to the business value side, where we're talking about business performance, business culture, and affecting those two very important areas. So what are you thinking when you're looking at this? So does anybody want to open up their mic and share with us, what's your immediate thought looking at this value spectrum? I kind of came to an aha moment the other day, talking about the, the business impact of learning and development, because that's where I want to get, because I feel like that's where we're going to be taken seriously is if we can show our business impact. I was getting very, very frustrated in my, in my role. And what the conclusion I came to is because of the fact that we have not focused on the business value of what we do, rather than being very proactive, it's been very reactive. Like, Hey, we need this right now, rather than kind of coming up with a strategic plan. And, and that's kind of where my brain goes. I'm not necessarily surrounded by people that think that same way. So for me, it was really interesting to see this because where I see my team focusing currently right now is on that far end of the the learning value and where I want it to be is on the opposite far end. Right. There's a little bit of a discrepancy there, right? right? That also explains my current frustration. Sure. Where before I could not verbalize why I was frustrated. Now I can. Right. Jason, let's go to Jason real quick. When I joined the organization with now, they were focused on that far end of the learning value, which is just compliance. Were people doing this? And now we're I'm shifting them to that usefulness. Is, is this training actually initiating change or is it being applied out in the field? Mm-hmm. So what do you think that means? I mean, hopefully I'm, I'm impacting the business more now through the training that we're developing. And it's not just boring click, click, click. Mm -hmm. training where, and I have heard that from some of our, our stakeholders that what we've done in the last two years is, has made a difference and it's not uh, just repeated training over and over again. Yeah. Really valuable observation there. It's that kind of shift from just doing things for people to helping them do things better back in the organization. So really like that kind of analogy. Kelly's been very patient there with your hand, (laughs) (laughs) your hand up waving. (laughs) 
it's all good. All the, the conversation is great. I have been trying to shift us to more business value. The organization was definitely looking at learning value, but I would say they weren't even looking at the usefulness of the training. I mean, it's like, how useful is this? So I've been trying to change the conversation to performance, but I still do a lot of compliance training. And so when I speak to my stakeholders, when it comes to compliance training, I do say that I want to reduce risk and whatever compliance training that we do, we really should be focused on reducing risk and changing performance. And I'm asking them, where are your highest risk areas and what aren't people doing and why? And so I'm trying to flip the conversation from a checkbox exercise that we did the training to let's look at what the risk is and how can we change behavior? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I would observe from what you've all said is that it's not just about proving how much an impact we've made on the business, but our willingness to have a conversation about what's going on in the business. And that's, I guess, one of the reasons why I've been looking at this for so long is that, you know, the high-performing learning teams in pretty much all of my studies operate first from seeing their value operating in that business area, even when their business don't ask them for that or don't expect it. You know, when the business is coming to them and saying, oh, you know, I want, get me a course, give it to me now, get me a course, give it to me now. You know, Kelly, your your observations, Jason with you, Jen, you're all saying, actually, we want to ask the question about where this is. And that, it was an aha moment for me during the COVID period, because I was looking at the data saying, okay, why are so many people like talking, they want to talk business value, but at the same time, they seem to be stuck in measuring, you know, how many of the completions, what are the learning hours and all of those kinds of things. It was a real sense of why don't we do this? But actually COVID showed me that it's the attitude that we bring to our work that actually starts to make the difference. Not that we can prove that we're valuable to business, but we're willing to have the conversation about business. We're willing to have that conversation about risk when everyone's asking us about compliance, we're willing to have the conversation about how do we do things differently back at work when everyone's asking us for a piece of e-learning course. You know, it's the place from where we operate, actually, I've realized is becoming more fundamental for us in the extent to which we are positioning ourselves to be valuable back to the business. And Andrew, I get your point about typically when we look at ROI, we talk, look at what is the benefit over cost, benefit cost ratio. But actually, if we think about how something is perceived as being valuable, that's a really important aspect of our work. If we perceive ourselves as being valuable to the organization rather than just valuable to our learning profession, that shifts us in the way that we're able to be more curious about what's going on in business. So um, for me, I'm super interested in how, where this conversation is going. And Andrew, thank you for giving me a little bit of moment of reflection there. I appreciate that. Putting on hold for a moment and saying, welcome, <laughs> welcome back in. <laughs> so Andrew. I was going to say, no, you're absolutely spot on, Laura. And, and the, the, this idea of reflecting on what we do is, is and how we prove it is really important now. And, and you've actually nailed it. So, you know, through lockdown, we all said, okay, so we've got to deliver stuff differently. 
Well, the question then is, well, how do we demonstrate that we are doing that differently? So our measurement tools and the way we measure has to be done differently as well because the expectation has changed around us. There's a, a lovely model that I see called perception leads to expectation leads to reality. So the perception of what the learning function does creates an expectation of what the learning function does. And then what we do, people then create, the, they go, oh, well, I expect the learning function can only produce courses for me. So the expectation is they come to us for a course. The reality is we can do more than that. The moment we do something more than that, then that changes the perception of us. And that's the issue we've got around evaluation and proving our value. If the expectation is all we can do is tell how many people have been on it, that's all they'll ever ask us to do. We need to actually demonstrate through the reality that we can prove business value. And when you can prove business value, you start changing the expectation that comes from the learning function. Can I ask a question then of the group of, because I, I really love what you're saying there, Andrew, is about, we've got that emphasis on proof there. How easy do we find it to prove our business value back to the organisation? Love to hear some people to come off come off mic and, and let us know or in the chat. Is it something we find easy to prove that value? How does it go for you? And negative answers are good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> negative answers are more valuable than, oh, I'm super easy. Like, I've nailed it. <laughs> I'll contribute to that. I find it very difficult, but I am working towards merging our learning management system data into the same data lake that Salesforce is in. And then once I do that, it I may be able to find some correlation causations, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But that is my 23 goal is to get that data together in the same place so I can start seeing whether, you know, the metrics are there. In another chat that I was in, another group, they, they talked about in our training salespeople, not time to first sale, time to fifth sale, because first sale could be a fluke. First sale could be the, the last salesperson that had that territory. Time to fifth sale and time to new customer, like somebody that wasn't in the customer bank before and now is. So finding those metrics, and I tell you, there's some pretty engaging conversations about what the metrics should be, but we need to start somewhere and we need to start getting this data. Are what we doing in training, weeks of salespeople training, this is a highly expensive, the most expensive training we do at our company. Is it effective? Is it working? Are they up to speed? Time to fifth sale, time to new customer, time to fifth new customer, right? Let's start measuring this kind of stuff. I love it. I love it's it. Not easy though. <laughs> it's not easy, but what you've done, Kelly, is shown me how liberating it can be when you can say, actually, what are the sorts of metrics that are important to the organization? Time to fifth sale, you know, customer retention, that type of thing. What's really important to the organization? Let me just track that. And let me just track in parallel what I'm doing. And maybe there will be something that goes on. And that, to me, can really help us get more familiar with what's going on in the business and us get curious about whether or not there may be a correlation. I think where we get hung up, Kelly, is we get hung up by needing to prove and isolate 
the individual contribution that we have made back into the business. And that we don't just get hung up, we get chained. We get so frustrated that we don't even start to have those conversations. And going back to Andrew's point, I'm sorry, I'm so excited about what you're raising this. Going back to Andrew's point about perception. I just remember doing a work with a major retail outlet over here in the UK where they did some analysis on, this was so long ago, rolling out credit cards into the organization. And they did some online training with credit cards in the organization. And they just mapped, exactly as you're doing, mapped how many credit cards different stores sold. And they happened to see, this was the level of data analysis they did, they happened to see that those that were going more likely to go through the online training credit card uh, were selling more, more cards. And they happened to just share that back, saying, oh, we've spotted this back into the teams. And that perception value that you were talking about, Andrew, there just rocketed sky high. The engagement with learning rocketed sky high. They didn't need to prove that value. And no one was saying to them, well, you know, how do you know it's you? And how do you know it wasn't the line managers that were promoting the credit cards? It was about actually, it's enough for me to see that data hand in hand. So I think that fact that you're not proving it, you're just curious and you're asking the questions, I think is a really powerful way of operating at the business value end of the spectrum without being chained by fear of not being able to deliver that causation. So I just want to give you a big round of applause, Kelly, for just saying <laughs> thank you for, <laughs> for being willing to. Yeah, for putting yourself out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd also like to, I saw this interesting comment in the chat from, from in the chat from Chet. <laughs> and uh, Chet, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind coming off mic to expand on this. You said here, I see learning value as how we do what we do. And I'm not sure our senior leaders care or need to know we're doing that unless they want to know. So I call it hiding the vegetables. I love that. So I'd love to know more about what you're saying here. Trying to talk to senior leaders about what we do in L&D, in my experience, a lot of times just seems to either go over their head or they just don't really seem to care or prioritize exactly how we do the work. If you were in engineering, like they don't really want engineers to tell, you know, them the theory or all the thought processes and things behind how they did what they did. They just want to know that they made a good product, right? And that they delivered it on time. How do we have conversations with senior leaders and in, in their language about the things that they want to talk about, which is typically I've got a pain point somewhere. We need people to be more bought into the subject or to learn how to do something new or different. That's what we need to address and focus our conversation around, around that. I love the analogy then with the hiding the vegetables. I'm just very aware. I'm, I'm right now I'm whispering. I'm at my parents who are not very good at eating right now. And I am hiding <laughs> those vegetables <laughs> in amongst the things that they are very comfortable <laughs> Oh, Laura, thank you so much for explaining it because Chet mentioned vegetables and before that he mentioned sausage and I was like, one, I'm hungry now. But two, I am not following this man. I'm like, I love it, but I have no clue. But thank you. Hiding the vegetables. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't hide them. But um, (laughs) I feel like, I don't know. So I'm a consultant contractor, you know, so I come in. I'm in there for a bit and then I leave and a bit can be three months to three years, but 
Uh, one, I have always been cranky when people ask me about evaluation. So Kelly, I really appreciate you bringing up your stuff and, and the kind of markers you're using, especially that they're not immediate. Because I feel most of the time, the feedback is immediate from the business. And so they're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Or we love this. And people love it. It's always subjective, right? It's always just like, we love it. It's fabulous. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody, you know, we go to the LMS, look at how many people did this. And, and they're all thrilled. And I'm just sitting there going, but did it make a difference? Like, great. I see that people loved that game that I made. Wonderful. But like, and I don't necessarily have ways to see that. Or as Kelly's saying, track it over time. And so I just like, you know, clients always seem happy and I'm always like, but did, did we really do what we intended? And sometimes we're talking about this. So here's a perfect example of evaluation in the moment. Accounting wanted, they needed to have their information shared in a different way. So I built a SharePoint site for them and redid, you know, just kind of redid everything. And they were thrilled, but the kind of boss of my team was kind of eye rolling, but we had metrics at SharePoint and we, and even I was shocked, like the amount of people that were going to this site and using it. So then I got big props because she was eye rolling. And then it was like, ha ha ha, look at how many people are going there. But I'm like, yeah, are they going there though? Just to look at my cute graphics or are they actually using it? Uh, my graphics are really cute, everybody. <laughs> and and so I have been cranky about evaluation almost since I started because I've just never felt that I've either had the time or the right tools or data gets put up, but I'm even questioning the data, right? Like how many courses completed or how many, which is why I really did appreciate Kelly going like, right, not the first one, but the fifth one or this time mm-hmm. out. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could, kind of put something forward to my client like that. Like, I mean, they do over a period of time. Okay. I'm just going to stop now. You get it. Okay. I'm done. Yeah. I see Bruce's hand. So Bruce, do you want to help with this? First so for my team, one of the things that I really push on them, um, I'm fairly new leader for the team. I really push on them to when somebody has any type of a training request, um, we do one pager, we do, you know, a little bit of everything. I really push on them to understand what the business goal is, not just the learning goal. So if the learning goal is we need them to, you know, usually we get it, we need them to understand something, right? First of all, before we dig into better objectives, I really push on them to understand what the business goal is. And I really push on them to always ask, what if we don't do the training? If we don't do the training, is are we going to end up with the same business results? And so to really push on, you know, tying what we're going to be doing back into the business goal, whatever that is, there's usually a there's usually a metric that they're they're already tracking, or hopefully that they're already tracking that, that we can tie into. And then is there really a learning goal underneath that? Right before I came on, they were just finishing up a project about notifications. And it was a little training, a little wiki on how, when a bell notification, what that means and all this. And I'm like, we don't need a training on what a bell notification is. Everybody knows that already. And so really kind of pushing back and protecting our time to do stuff that is impactful to the business. And that if we didn't do it, what would the impact be? So just really digging in on the front end, asking those questions and trying to tie it back to a business goal. So I love that as well, Bruce, because what you're doing is you're showing that you're coming from the business angle. And even if they push back on you, 
they will have heard that that perception is starting to shift about you as a business person, even if they're not expecting it. And sometimes they might fight back. If you come from a business perspective in learning and development, you can't help but be curious to ask those questions. And I think that's really where I've come to in thinking about the learning value spectrum. It's not where do we prove our value, but where do we believe and live our value from? Um, where, what do we bring of ourselves back into that organization? Laid back team, man. I'm so glad that you're not so laid back now. <laughs> It'll yeah, be great, great to meet you. <laughs> I'm here. I'm listening. I just wanted to, you know, kind of throw some accountability back at Bruce. No offense. How much of that content do you ensure gets to the instructional designer and the course developer? as far as that upfront analysis, because that's where I see a lot of the disconnect is, is, you know, we're asked to produce a course and be creative and figure out ways to teach these people, but we don't know who the hell the people are, what the problems are, what the systems are going wrong. It's, it's just make them understand this is the like number one performance objective. It's like, no, no, no. There's so much more information we need. There's so much more we need to understand. There's things we need to put into an effective context to make people come along with our program. Some of these people, oh God, another compliance e-learning, you know, or they're rolling their eyes or there's, you know what, we can be their friend and their helper and their guide. And actually with uh, Elizabeth's cute graphics and creative writing, we can make it a wonderful journey for them that they actually enjoy instead of just complain about, you know, mm -hmm. in e-learnings. I'm just asking, and in the last organization I consulted at did this, I feel encouraged that they did share more of the business directives, but I also had to pull out about 60% of that. So 40% being more is not really more. I would just encourage all learning managers and the account representatives work with these different teams and stuff to just share more information about why something needs to be done with the people that actually build it. Mm -hmm. So that was my thought. That is the siren song of instructional designers everywhere. I hear this from one end of the country to the other end of the country. And it's a really good point because sometimes the instructional designer within an organization, or even if you're a contractor, it's just the receiver of the order, right? So if you think about it as a catering group, for example, an order comes in from a customer to the salesperson, the salesperson hands it over to whoever's cooking it, right? And then that cook does it. But there's so much more granularity that could be happening, you know, more support that could be happening if we bring everybody into the conversation, everyone into the conversation much earlier in the process. And so I sense that that's a frustration. So Laura? I think you're absolutely right there. And I love the fact, I bet that you actually say said that because what I've been observing is that it can't be one person in the team that has a business first perspective, you know, the business partner or mm. the leader of the team. All of us need to have a business pers first perspective. So I bet you're asking the question, you're having to draw out the 60%, you know, just by asking that question. But for me, what I get excited about is that sometimes it's frustrating when you're the only one who's got this, whatever, whatever role you're playing in that learning and development team, if you're the only one you feel who is asking these questions. 
it can be so frustrating. But if you then happen to meet up with a client or with you get a, a new boss who also has got it, suddenly that kind of power of your thinking is amplified, you know, and it's kind of the more that a team gets it, the more value you can um, add back out into the business. The more that the business gets it, the more two-way communication you're going to get. But it's going to need to, starting with a business first perspective, needs to start somewhere. And Mm -hmm. wherever you're at in the organization, you know, live that value, live that value. Keep asking those questions, keep dragging out. Don't get frustrated. Just keep being curious. You know, if if you still have to deliver an order, deliver it, ask the questions, but deliver it and then just build some sneaky stuff in there, you know, that you can kind of come back to and say, I know you didn't ask for it, but Mm -hmm. for me, driving business value isn't just about proving our business value at the end. It's living it and believing it and allowing it to be drive our curiosity and drive our relationships with our team. And, you know, lay back the way that you've just described it, you know, drives the way that information flows throughout that team. Bruce, you're talking about becoming value creators rather than order takers. And I spent a lot of time post my research work spending um, about a year or so working with Charles Jennings in the 702010 Institute as well. But I get a sense that we get frustrated. We're stuck as order takers because we feel like we're victims because nobody gets us. And yet I've seen during the COVID period that those people who are continually asking the question, going out, finding new ways, you know, just just different ways to talk about value, different ways to explore value, a less victim, I need to prove myself, a more curious, or I wonder how I can work in this new new environment. So I I do see, and I'm just going to throw this out here and just see how people react to this, but I do see that those that are working traditionally in the business value end, like we've been describing, seem to have more of a growth mindset when it comes down to looking at the metrics, because they're not, if you're operating from the business value in the way you've all described, it's not there just to prove yourself, just to prove that you need a job. When we get the metrics back, even when they're low and they're poor, we embrace it because it's like, oh, this is something I can learn from. This is something I can dig into. This is something I'm not giving up on my ultimate goal. So we're not frightened of metrics when we're working at the business value end. We we love all metrics. We don't have to prove ourselves. But when we're working at the learning value end and we feel as though we're knocking our heads against a brick wall, then we tend to get into this sense of, you know, I need to prove my worth. And the frustration builds and then the opportunity to experiment gets crushed and our curiosity gets crushed. And we think, well, we wish we could work with better clients, better, better teams, better, you know, if only the grass is greener. So I want to throw that out there that maybe those that work at the business end are kind of embracing perhaps a growth mindset because they don't need to prove themselves more. They just want They're just hungry to get involved with the business more. Does anyone completely and violently disagree with me? Please. <laughs> I think, Laura, I kind of got an inkling of this at the beginning. I feel like I just joined your conversation in the sense of, you know, we were talking about business value, right? So I went to how often I don't, I always think I bring value, but that's just probably my ego. I don't always know necessarily how the business perceives the value, but now I'm like, oh, you're getting, you're getting rather existential, right? I mean, you're talking about proving yourself. 
And I think so much of that is based on our personalities and our context, because, you know, you might not be in an environment where asserting your belief in your own value makes any difference, right? So I'm just like, oh, I'm maybe we're having a different conversation. And I appreciate that because how I think you're right, how you're having us think about it does impact the way we speak about it. And, you know, in that way for me, I, I've always been a pushback with any of my clients. Like I don't really do, or I mean, I'll take orders, but then I'll be like, you can't put a pickle on that because the acidity will totally mess with the mammies. I'm trying to do a food thing chat. It's not working out. Um, <laughs> trying to weave in that food analogy. That's okay. We're all about the food here. I have come to believe that. I have been somebody who has been into proving business value, talking business value for the entire duration of my career. I've worked in ed tech before ed tech was a thing where people were saying, oh, I can't do that. It's classroom training. And I realized the only way to get something new in is to show how it's going to make a difference to the business, not the difference to the thing you're trying to change. You know, so I, business value for me has always been like, it's the only way I've been able to survive in my career, to be quite honest, because <laughs> I just wouldn't, mm -hmm. just wouldn't have been able to do it. But it's occurred to me recently that it is probably more existential, as you say. And I've been really thinking, and I won't go too heavy into this, but thinking in like the cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, our behavior as individuals is influenced by our thinking and our beliefs, our beliefs and thinking influence our behaviors. You know, it's that cycle. And when we think about our professional, that professional cycle, when we think about ourselves as really being able to contribute to business, that we can do that, then we start to believe it. And then we start to be more confident in the conversations that we have, in the pushbacks that we may lay back into the situations that we're having. If we start from a position where we think, well, actually, we can't influence business impact because of all of these contexts behind us, then our behavior is, yes, I'll take that order. Yes, I'll be disappointed. I can't prove myself. And so in one sense, having a word with ourselves about business value <laughs> is actually probably a really good place to start. And that's why I'm so intrigued by the stories that people are telling in this chat at the moment. Yes. And uh, Maureen, I saw your comment in the chat. Do you want to expand on that? I can. Yeah. It's just that, you know, value sometimes is about the time, respecting the time or lack thereof of the learners. And also for their leaders to recognize, like if there's a finite amount of time to invest in learning, we want to make sure it's only those things that must be tracked, you know, for audits or whatever that goes into the LMS, into our LMS. But most of the solutions are in the flow of work, job aids, performance support. And we find out from the learners what, you know, through learner insights, like where would they go to find this information? Not assuming that those of us in learning and development know where somebody would go, but going to where they are to access information so that they're not spending more time looking for learning in the LMS to get an answer to a question. They can just go boom right to like that job aid that's on their SharePoint site. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of having that business value perspective to say mm -hmm. it's okay for me to 
let go of my normal solution that I provide for you, that I'm known for, that I've won awards for, and give you a job aid. As Abel say, one of the things that's also helped because the division I work for is very mired in the old mindset and order taker, and this is the way we've always had it, and they have a high threshold for seat time, but is that when we're presenting back recommendations after our analysis, we say, this is like our recommendation as part of the solution. This is what we learned through our research. And here's the science behind why that recommendation was made. And so while some people may be resistant at first, when they see those connections, they're much more willing than to be open to doing something that's different than what they had seen before. Yeah. We're in a position to be able to create those connections. And I think that wherever we are sitting in the organisation, we're in that position to be able to do that. Andrew? I'm just going to put a link to a video in the chat that I saw on Twitter earlier on today that I strongly suggest everybody have a look at. This calls out directly to what you're talking about, Maureen, in relation to value. So I'll let everybody click on the video link and hopefully you should have a picture of some children playing on a mound where a slide is. I've got a cat eating ice cream. (laughs) Well, that's okay. I have to keep the food thing going now. (laughs) So, Andrew, I wonder if it's also, is it in um, Japan? Uh, It may be. Because there's a whole school where that's like, I saw this whole, it's like a half hour episode and it was all about, I guess, customer experience in different ways. And yeah, it just the ways that they found and and watched children playing with things without rules. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Can you you say this? So so I think this is brilliant. I think this is a brilliant example of, of the situation you've got more in where somebody comes along and says, we need to design a slide or an e-learning module for the children or the people in the work to play with. And what do you know? They realize they don't need the slide in order to have fun. Similarly, they don't need the e-learning module in order to be able to learn how to do the thing. And so what we do is we end up, we've got no way of measuring who's going down this slide. We've got no, or going down the mound. We can't count the numbers. We can't see how many people have accessed it or whatever. And this is all the learning that's happening outside of our LMS. The slide is our LMS and nothing is, no one's using it because guess what? They don't need to because they can do it themselves anyway. Andrew, this is such a good, I love, I love, I love this analogy. I do. I am just entranced. You can just put it on loop and just have it. It's a brilliant example of what we do wrong in learning. Learning and development is the brown slide where we produce these wonderful slides for people to go down. It's even slide. I mean, geez. (laughs) Right. And so I, so what we're, what we're seeing is that we've got this very creative looking slide and it's slightly on a hill. But you have the children sliding down the hill itself and not sliding down the slide, right? (laughs) Awesome. This is the perfect example of thinking beyond, thinking beyond the boundaries of what was expected. So the expectation, obviously, was for the children to use the slide, but who knew? Now, using your spectrum uh, that you've got on there, this wouldn't be any of learning side. This is all beyond the behavior business side. What I love about this as well is the fact that I, we really discovered that those that operate in the business, the business end are aware that they, and this is why it's so hard to operate when you only think about business value as proving business value. They are aware that there are so many other factors that are going on in the world right now. 
they're sliding down on, in their own way. Um, other people are creating slides which have been more useful. So how do you know what you have done has made a contribution? And when we operate at the business end, is Kelly, I keep coming back to your, your example, you know, they're measuring the time to fifth sale, you know, and they've got many other things that they're also doing to help time to fifth sale. So isolating stuff out is going to be really, really tricky for us. And if we insist on isolating out in order to prove ourselves, we won't be able to work in partnership with the organization in order to help people achieve what they're looking to achieve because multiple people have these business KPIs. There's another brilliant little analogy on this slide as well, uh, on the slide itself. On the right-hand side, so just later on in the video, it's an 18-second video, about 12 seconds in, on the right-hand side, there is a man with a younger child and he is helping them up the stairs and it looks like he is going to take them and show them how to use the slide as mm. opposed to using, we can't actually see it happen, but mm. is he actually going to force them? Is that learning and development saying, we've built this thing, so we're yeah. going to walk up the stairs and show how to do it. Everybody else is just running yeah. up and down the hill. Yeah. Whereas we've got somebody in learning and development going, let's walk up the steps and let's show you how this should be done properly in inverted commas. <laughs> the business value end is about liberty. It's about creativity. It's about giving ourselves permission to work with the business. It's about giving ourselves permission to understand that there is fun to be had by moving from the top to the bottom. And that so we are there to help people have as much fun as they possibly can in whatever way is appropriate. And we're there to, a measurement is there to learn how we can continually improve how to help the organization to be able to do that. And for me, that's what the business value spectrum has been about. That's what about the research where I really step back and look at the research. It's not about the data, how many people can prove their bottom line business value about the KPIs, but it's how many people live in that world and look for opportunities to be able to make a difference because they're living in that world rather than living in their learning and development world. And they want people to meet us in the L&D world. It's about getting out onto that hill, starting to play, starting to understand what looks like fun for the organization and using our skill and our amazing graphics and designs, Elizabeth, and, and layback, it's using all of those things to help people have that fun on that hill, you know, how to deliver right. the result and to be working together and collectively. Yeah, I've got plenty more examples that I can kind of give <laughs> you, but I'm very aware, Shannon, that probably hours ticking by and you're going to be giving me that. <laughs> throwing in the hook. <laughs> Almost. We are almost at the top of the hour. And as always, these conversations fly. But I thought I would put the value spectrum back up on the screen and ask you, now that we've had this conversation over the past hour, do you see yourself in a different way? Do you see what you what you want to produce in a different light? So when we talk about Chet's very wonderful analogy here of hiding the vegetables, and I used to do that as well when I worked in corporate America. It was, here are the matrix that you asked for. Oh, by the way, crazy thing happened. We saw this data change as well, right? And so that's a, a way of sliding in that extra data that perhaps they weren't asking for, but you desperately want to show. So now I'm asking you, do you see the value spectrum now in a different light than when you did when we first started this conversation? Yeah, so I've been very quiet throughout this presentation and because I work for an association mm -hmm. and I develop a lot of different kinds of training. However, we sell training to our members. So everything that 
you're you're showing like on the LMD spectrum and all this conversation, you know, we have to take ours with a different twist. So our education foundation within our association has to work with the companies to help mm-hmm. them build that value. So it's good to have a perspective that it's not a one size fits all. And you may have to use different tools in your tool bags. That's why I had to giggle at that slide thing, because you you don't know what you're building that might be have hidden value or value that you don't even realize that it has. So, um, you know, from my perspective, this has been excellent just to, again, open my mind to maybe different ways that we can help people just by hearing the struggles that others have experienced on their journey of trying to create business value. Thank you for that, Kathy. And you're absolutely right. Where you sit on the value spectrum, as Laura said at the very beginning, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's a ever moving continuum sometimes. But I do believe that it's about your mindset for this. So while we may be producing learning value at any given time, if our mindset comes from a place of business value, then we're always going to have that North Star, that North Star of creating business value, creating business impact. And so that can always be tucked away in the back of your mind as you're moving through the other areas of the value spectrum. Is that something that you would agree with, Laura, or am I off base? Enough. <laughs> you know you're not off base. You know, it's, it's exactly, it's our guiding light for us to operate um, with our heads held high as business professionals even when those around us don't understand it. And a story that I would like to kind of very quickly share with you is that I've known a lot of very senior L&D people over here in the UK over a lot of years because of the work that I do. And there's one individual that I've been following through his career doing different things, and he was heading up learning and development at a very, very major bank, very major bank. And he was on the speaking circuit and he was talking about efficiency all the time. It was about how much money we saved, how we, you know, reduce the suppliers. It was all about money. It was all about saving. And I used to cringe because I was thinking, yes, but you are saving money, but why don't you add value back into the organization? He shifted to become a major CLO for a, a global pharmaceutical company. And it was almost like overnight, he was talking about business value. And I rang and I said, listen, I really don't understand. Why weren't you talking about that when you were in the bank? And he just said, Laura, the bank wasn't interested. The bank was only interested in the efficiencies. I delivered all this underneath. Mm -hmm. I made sure that all of the learning value that turned into business value was, was happening at the same time. But what I had to talk about was what was important to the organization at the time. He didn't let go of his North Star just because his context demanded him to talk about something else. He still lived it when he was in the bank. He clearly moved on to an organization that allowed him to follow his star with great abandonment, but he's left a legacy when he was in the bank. And that to me, it flags to me that it's how we carry our value inside, which is actually more important to the value that we will have back to the organization that we're in. It will build our courage, our curiosity, our growth, our ability to experiment, ability to become tricky as anything and put things in underneath the radar and then prove them at a later stage. Um, that it gives us freedom to drive business value when we believe in that for ourselves and hold on to our own personal North Star rather than have someone dictate what our North Star ought to be. Well, I can't think of a better way to close off this conversation with that with that statement, Laura, thank you so much for that. 
And now I'm curious, I'd love to know, what are you taking away with this? Is part of our conversations today going to create some little bit of change, either in thought or action? Or is it reinforcing what you already do? So you feel now even more empowered to go forward and follow that North Star. So what are your thoughts? You put it into the chat. Somebody want to um, open up their mic and tell me, how are you feeling right now? What are you going to do with this information? Honestly, today, I think a little bit, I'm still sort of reeling inside, but I think some of it today was validating that the experience of working with me and my team's is a value in and of itself because I'll work mm-hmm. with leaders and SMEs and I push back. And when they get grumpy, sometimes I'm like, look, my pushing back isn't about being ornery. It's about making sure we are actually solving the right problem or, and my response is typically I make jokes or whatever, because I do do this, but like the process is valuable. And I've always just thought it in my head But it's like the process of working with me and my team changes things inherently because we do come with it with a very different attitude of empathy, wanting positive change, believing in the growth mindset. And that does make change, right? That slowly, but hopefully surely impacts culture. Absolutely. And thank you for that. Kathy cannot jump to the right end of the spectrum simply because the organization is there. It is incremental progress. It is taking your business with you, little baby steps. Although you can take those baby steps as well. So you may find yourself on a completely different journey than your organization and that's okay. So thank you everybody for attending and thank you as always for your generosity in spirit, generosity in knowledge, and just for helping others. Like you guys said in the chat, we're all in this together, aren't we? You know, so thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Holy value, Batman. <laughs> Leave it to Laura Overton to tease out the critical nuances of a conversation. We all started here. When you talk about the value L&D is providing to your organization, what narrative of success do you use? Well, we all agreed that driving business value is the path to L&D success, but everyone's journey is going to be different. And this is especially true as each business has different agendas. Some businesses are happy with that tick a box approach or measuring just the butts and seats learning mentality. But we all know an organization focused on sustainable growth and is committed to developing a culture of learning isn't going to settle for the results of a smile sheet. So what's the key takeaway today? First, as laid back tea man stated, sometimes we have to hide the vegetables. Give the business the matrix that they ask for, but slide in the data that we all know really makes a difference. You know, we've got to grow those healthy bones and sliding in that important data really will help shift mindsets. Secondly, many of you are frustrated and I hear you. Sometimes we just have to belly up to the bar and get her done. However, as Jason and Jen wisely observed, Just because we're focused on the learning value side of the spectrum doesn't mean our mindset has to live there. So I'll leave you with these words from Bruce. 
where are we living? Are we living in business value or in learning value? And perhaps it's time to simply just focus on adding value and being value creators rather than learning creators. I couldn't have said it better, Bruce. Hopefully you take this as challenge accepted. So you wanna join us live? And you know you do. Go on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. Thank you.